Welcome to the Focus B Show, where Katie Stoddard, high performance coach, interviews experts around the world in performance and mindfulness. Now, here's your host, Katie. Welcome to a brand new episode of The Focus Bee Show. I am absolutely delighted to be here today with Janine Coombs. Janine is a marketing expert I've been following for years on LinkedIn who has fantastic content in terms of marketing and sales and branding. And she focuses on helping service-based entrepreneurs or business owners to put together perfect sizzling offers. Hi, Janine. Welcome to the show. It's so wonderful to have you here. Hello. Thanks for having me. Real, real pleasure. I'd like to begin immediately with what you focus on, which, as you mentioned in your profile, is sizzling offers, helping service-based business owners to create and put together a sizzling offer. Why is it that you decided to focus on this in your marketing? Because I know you cover a lot of things in marketing. Why did you decide to focus specifically on this? Well, it's it's a classic story, really. When I look back to when I was setting up my business, this is what I wanted help with. <laughs> um, it, it took me a long while to figure it out. I did the classic, you know, corporate career, came out because of uh, work-life balance um, desires and uh, so thought, set up a business. Loads of people need help marketing. I can do anything. I can help with anything. Very, very general, very, very wishy-washy. Started getting live on you know getting um active on social media got my website got my slick brand um but didn't actually know what I was offering I didn't have any packages of services it was it was all like oh please work with me I'm nice I'm hard working I know I'm an expert I know what I'm talking about but there was nothing um specific that people could hook onto sort of latch onto and understand oh that's what she does it was much too broad and wishy-washy. So now that's that is what I have realized a lot of people struggle with. Not everyone. Um, but I have to say, when I do see some really nice offers, some packaged up services, and I speak to that person, I said, Oh, I really like your really like your packages. How did you come up with that? Because you're not ex, you know, you're not a marketer, you're not a trained marketer. Nine times out of ten, in fact, I'm telling a lie, ten times out of ten, they've had help. <laughs> they've had help it's really hard it's really hard to do it on your own yes for sure and where do you feel that uh, the business owners struggle most so you say in your case at the time you were very generalist you had a sort of broad overview and so you needed really to narrow it down is this the main struggle you see what sort of comes up as the main struggles yeah I mean that's so that's a common one isn't it it's the resistance to being specific and that's why I like offers because you don't have to say I'm only doing this for this type of people you don't have to do that um some people call that niching I don't like the word niching because uh, (laughs) I don't think anybody knows exactly what it means there's no dictionary definition um but what people conceive of niching is I must cut out the majority of my opportunities I mean that's horrible why would you do that to yourself (laughs) yes yes 
you can you can define your audience you can define the people you like to work with and that kind of thing but then when you have an offer that's your opportunity to get really specific and test it out it might be that one offer floats your boat and you want to do only that offer forever that's fine and that is real niching that is really really specific but you don't have to you could have 10 different offers you know just don't sell them all at once Hmm. so you focus on selling one offer at the time yeah that's what I recommend yeah yeah it also makes sense in terms of channeling our focus and our thoughts and our creativity in one direction and also regarding the messaging on social media so I suppose you link also the social media marketing with the offers yes because again a lot of people I can see people struggling with what on earth shall I create content about what on earth shall I post on social media today and actually if you're clear about your offers you're clear about what you're who you're helping with what that should be the source of your inspiration really for the content you're creating and what to write on social media mix in a bit of personal stuff mix in a bit of personality and values and opinion and you've got a plan Yes, it's overcomplicated. I think people think about it too much and try to make it too technical. I know one of the mistakes I used to make a lot on social media was writing my posts as if I was writing articles. So they'd be very technical and dense and not very human. I used to say we instead of saying you. And it took me a while to switch from the sort of technical approach of this is how it works to a more familiar, nice, approachable way of writing posts. Yeah, that that took me a while as well. You, you can take the girl out of corporate. You can't take the corporate out of the girl. I still I still <laughs> drift into corp speak sometimes. It's like, no. <laughs> Stop using jargon. Yes, I think that's quite common. And so when we look at marketing in general, what do you feel are some of the biggest mindset hurdles? Because I know you've done a lot of mindset work yourself. What do you feel are some of the biggest mindset hurdles specifically looking into marketing pricing has to come up there doesn't it right at the top (laughs) what shall I charge how can I possibly charge that much I can't possibly charge that that's more than my dad earns that's more than my tutor earns that's more than my coach earns you know it's or charges um it's it should all be based on the value but again doing that work on your own is is challenging it's really it's really tricky and you know you do see these messages about oh just double it or stick a zero on it you know whatever you're charging you're not charging enough you can't you don't know um and it's so emotional especially when you're the face of your business like most of my clients are personal brands and it's as if they're putting a price on their head you know how can I say that I'm worth this much um, and that it again, my answer to everything is offers. <laughs> when you have an offer, it, it it takes it away from you a little bit. When you're charging by the hour or by the day or by the unit, that's that's quite personal. It's like this is how much I'm worth. Oh my goodness, I'm telling people I'm worth this much. But when it's an offer, it's like, here's an offer. Do you have this problem? Do does this look good? If not, you can say no. And if you don't think it's worth it, that's up to you. I've worked through the value. I've put a price on it. If you don't think it's worth it, don't buy it. It's like, you know, expensive handbag. I'm not going to buy an expensive handbag, but other people will. 
Yes, I think what you mean, it, it makes you detach a bit from compared to if you're charging by the hour or if you're saying this is just you having an offer. It's like it almost turns the service into a product somehow. So I always used yes. to think it's easier to sell products than it is to sell services because services, yeah. you're saying it's you. Yes. Yeah. I bet product-based businesses will will disagree with that, but that's how it, <laughs> Probably. <laughs> that's how it feels, isn't it? That, you know, you've got a product, you want it or you don't want it, you know, just take it or leave it. Whereas a service, it's like, oh no, it's a bundle of me that I need to sell. Um, and harking back to my degree, um, I remember learning about marketing in as part of my business degree. And it was interesting that the product-based businesses and the products that you um, put out there, if you're a product-based business, you you can augment that product with with intangible stuff, with services. And then the services, you have to try and make them more tangible. So it's funny how they both sort of, there's a, there's a medium that they need to gravitate towards. It's sort of this natural, I need to make uh, an intangible service more tangible to make it sort of mean something to people. Hmm, I never thought of it that way. So making the intangible tangible in terms of services, yes, but making the tangible intangible, i.e. adding emotions, i.e. adding something yeah, else. Or to after it. sales service, that's a classic after sales service to products. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's another mm-hmm. one. Nice. So how do you help your clients overcome some of these mindset hurdles? So if we're looking at the finance, how do you help them overcome maybe this resistance or reluctance in terms of how they're pricing their offers? First of all, I, 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 if I'm working with somebody longer term, sometimes I have clients that specifically come to me with pricing, and I do love that. But almost always, we start with the value. We start with the what you know. What's the emotional reason? What's the transformation you're helping people with? Where are they now? Where are they going to get to? Really feel that it's, it's as much as uh, calling to the right people and explaining the value to the to the right clients as it is proving to the business owner, my client, that they're worth a lot, you know, that what they're offering is really valuable. And then we go through the rational sort of, okay, let's let's really have a brainstorm and get everything down. What is every single step that you go through? What is every little thing that you add value with? The more, the more practical stuff, methods, methodologies, um, processes, are there any little spreadsheets or tools that you've developed? Let's get it all down. And by the time they've done all that it really they can feel the value then and they're like oh oh, it's not just two hours like a classic would be a coaching a coaching relationship where you're only talking to the client twice a month goodness I can't charge that for two hours a month it's like that's not that's not what you're charging for they are here you're going to help them get there that is very valuable put an appropriate price on it um, and, and obviously, in the process, make sure that it means that you're going to have a profitable business at the end of it. Yes, absolutely. There's so much more than just the hours. And that's a classic, I think, looking at the hours. I was talking with a friend of mine recently exactly on this. She was doing a workshop for a couple of days in Paris, asking me how much to charge. And I told her to charge more, but also because she wasn't taking into account the amount of preparation she'd do beforehand, her actually going because it was an offline event. There's just so much more that goes on and people that aren't used to putting together offers and do one-offs, they're mm. not used to coming up with the pricing and they, it can be very difficult. How do you help them? So you help them overcome by seeing the whole journey, but then in terms of the exact amount, how do you help them put it together? Um, I do 
I've worked with enough people now and, and uh, to have a, a guideline, so some suggestions. I can um, I can give them guidelines, um, especially for people targeting corporates. I've got, you know, I, I used to work in corporates and I've had quite a few uh, people targeting or selling to corporates now. So I can say, look, we're in this ballpark, which helps, but often it comes down to um, working out how much my client wants to earn. <laughs> How much do you want to earn? How many hours do you want to work? Okay, there's a little bit of maths, simple maths going on there. If you only want to work two days a week and the rest of the time you want to create your podcast and go on walks or whatever, <laughs> then there's you've got to ch- charge a certain amount. You know, there's, there's supply and demand. Yes, I think that's smart. That's the way I did it with my mentor and coach. She used to often look at how many clients you want to take on, then how many hours would that be, then how much, and yeah, sort of do the math that way backwards. Interesting. And what other sort of mindset hurdles you come across? Because I think pricing is definitely one of the core ones, but I'm interested in the other sort of resistance that come up. One of them that we explored a bit earlier was in terms of people having to narrow down their choices. That obviously comes up. But aside from those two, which are the ones that come to up in my mind, the most, which would be pricing and narrowing down. Aside from those two, what other type of mindset struggles come up? Um, so I think the enemy of, of most of us, including me, is assumptions. You just assume other people think like you and you assume other people have seen every single post that you've written because you've crafted every blog you've oh my goodness how could I possibly you know I can't post again about this thing that I'm selling because I just did it last Tuesday and everybody's going to think that I'm you know I should be quiet and go away and they're bored of me I mean you know nobody nobody is absorbing every single word even the super fans won't be reading every single word or you know maybe call the police if they are because that's very extreme this just doesn't happen it doesn't happen you know, people are very self-absorbed and they're looking for what's in it for me. And if they see something from you they're not interested in, they'll scroll past. And if you post about it again, they'll scroll past again. However, somebody who is interested, they will not necessarily be right there when your post is being served up, but they might be tomorrow. Or they might read your email if, your email instead. Yes, that's a great point. So not assuming that people are following our every move, our every bit <laughs> to actually see everything that we're posting and actually dare to post it again. This is also a struggle, I think, for people to sell actively through posting. I remember the first time I did this and it was putting out a post saying, you know, working with X amount of people. And I think there's also a reluctance that people feel you always should be giving value and they struggle to sometimes sell in their posts or in their newsletter once, you know, <laughs> in a blue moon or once a month or every two weeks. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I felt that as well. You're writing a real overt sales message. But again, people will just skim past it. There's not many small business owners that are making good money without doing any sales, any proactive sales whatsoever. I mean, there's very few. I, I don't know any of, off the top of my head in my sort of friendship network, to be honest with you, that, you know, the, the people who are doing the best on social media are selling social media services. That's, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're teaching people how to use Instagram on Instagram or they're teaching people how to use LinkedIn on LinkedIn. And maybe maybe they can get away with not being overtly salesy because 
you know, if you're on LinkedIn, you're going to want to know how to learn, use LinkedIn, aren't you? So, but even then, I think packaged up services and uh, relevant offers that's calling to the right people is a good idea. Yes, always a good idea, especially from time to time, if it's lost in the midst of all the content you're providing anyway. Mm, yeah, exactly. And what are some of the biggest marketing mistakes you made? Because I noticed in your profile, you mentioned that you made all the marketing mistakes that are possible. So what would be sort of, you know, the top two or three that come to your mind? Oh, my goodness. This could go all day, go on all day. I think marketers are the worst. We're just, it's the curse of knowledge. Um, I, I spent quite a long while trying to push what I knew people needed on them. You're not doing this right. Hello, people. You're not doing this right. Listen, you're doing this. It's wrong. <laughs> it's just not, it's not an engaging communication strategy. It's, you know, I, all I got was loads of marketers agreeing with me. <laughs> yes, people don't get it. People don't get it. Only the marketers get it. So we're all like patting each other on the back. Yes, this is how marketers <laughs> Um, so that took me a while to stop doing it. I still slip into it sometimes. I'm like, this is what they need. But they it's never about what they need, it's about what they want. Connect with what they want, be help them on that path. That's that's the way to approach it. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there was there was quite a bit of that. Um, I mean, there's 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 try there's can I say I regret that mistake? Probably not. I was gonna say there were other. Uh, you've got to make mistakes, haven't you? I mean, to learn. I recently did a series of LinkedIn Lives. Thought that'd be brilliant. Yay, A to Z. I'm going to do an A to Z. <laughs> it was it was good in some ways. It got me into the habit and I explored my topic from all different angles because I had to find 26 posts about it. However, um, the A to Z concept isn't, Again, it's not talking about what people want. So it's not an easy thing to engage with from the audience's perspective. But also, um, I want I was trying to use it as sort of as a bit visibility raiser because I've been quite quiet over the last couple of years for some reason, homeschooling and COVID and stress and what have you. Um, so I thought this was going to be a good visibility raiser and people would see me every day. But the reach on LinkedIn Live to use it as little videos every single day was abominable. It was awful. Really, really low. <laughs> so by the end, I switched to video. I should have, yeah, if I did it again in that format, I would do the whole thing as as video. Mm, and not as lives. Mm. There you go. Is that enough? I mean, I could go on. It's also interesting because I feel that we learn most, I think we learn both from failures and successes. So people that go on all the time by we learn from from failure. Yes, that's true. But we also learn from success. So when you look at a post that did do well or a video that did work or an offer that was good, you can learn and reproduce it. So we definitely learn from both. But it's always interesting to hear other people's struggles and failures and mistakes because we can learn from them too. And then we don't have to make them right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I like, I like, I like learning from other people's mistakes as well. But I think that the, the thing about learning from successes that maybe trips us up is you, you feel so good. You just sort of skim on, don't you? Mm. You don't necessarily stop. Uh, you don't have that prompt to stop and think, okay, that went well. Why did it go well? But whereas a failure, I think you've got to, you've got to, you know, you, you, you're in a slump a little bit 
Um, so maybe you have to analyze and learn and that's how you get out of the slump. But when you're on a high, it's easy just to skim on and think it's just because of your brilliance and <laughs> people could just, you know, see your genius. I think, yeah, failures is probably more reflection in those moments. Mm-hmm. Or we've learned to reflect more to see how yeah. we can avoid it in the future. In my case, I know that looking back at successes, it's not often on the moment that I reflect, but it's maybe afterwards. So if I look back the last six months, what did go well, you know, on social media or with my clients or workshops, or even sometimes I do, I don't know if you do this, Janine, I'd be curious to know. I look at a day where, or a week where I felt particularly happy, like more, like really loads of energy. And I start to write down everything I did to see, is it these clients? Is it these projects? Did I go out more? Did I exercise more? Did I see a lot more people, which is often the case. (laughs) Those are my happiest weeks. And I put it all together and I have a sort of data of what makes me happy. Do you do this? (laughs) No, but I want to. It was interesting. I remember a, a session with my coach a couple of years ago and, um, uh, I, I said, um, I was, I was getting myself tied up with, you know, being productive and having a good day and what was a good day and what was a bad day. And then she said, describe a good day. And, uh, I described, um, taking my kids to, um, a tourist spot in London and it just was brilliant. It was just the best day. And I knew it was going to be a good day because I planned it like this and I, it was on this specific day and that was a good idea. And I prepared and she was, she let me come to my own conclusion but basically it was a good day because I was convinced it was going to be a good day and I planned it. Nice. <laughs> it's like, oh. That's nice. That's easy. I was convinced, it was, you know, if you could convince it's going to be a bad day, it probably will be a bad day. I do this as an incantation in my journal in the morning. One of the guests I interviewed on the podcast, I think it was James, he mentioned that he has this whole sort of ritual where he does this whole affirmation. And in his affirmation, he say, today is going to be a wonderful day. And when I journal in the morning, when I do my morning pages, I finish in capital and I write, today is a great day. And I think it does help. Because it's before I've even gotten up, I journal in bed and then I get up and meditate. But before I've even gotten up, I've decided it's going to be a good day. It helps, I think. And I'll think about what you said. <laughs> to make it a good day, plan it and decide it's going to be a good day. Done. That's easy. You And you know what makes a good day for you. So that's yeah. really helpful, isn't it? Just stopping and learning. to. I think as I get older, it's sort of like, ah, okay, you need to get to know yourself, don't you? And what? What makes you tick and what makes you happy and how do you make a change in your life if you don't know those things yes that's where the self-awareness comes in and it's nice that's why it's nice to reflect both on the failures and the successes because when we just look at the failures yes we learn you know how to do your a to z again or not or differently but if we only reflect on them then yes we're just getting lessons learned really whereas if we look at the successes too I don't know I think it's not I think they're both sort of important in different ways Mm, oh definitely nice okay and what about the hedgehogs (laughs) I noticed that you're a hedgehog lover you mentioned this in your profile what's with the hedgehogs I'm a bit of an animal lover yeah um there's this thing in the UK you can become a hedgehog champion (laughs) and I actually signed up for my kids 
because I thought, oh, you know, there's something you could do. And but actually, you've got to sign up with your email address, and they don't, they're very little, so they don't have email addresses. So I was like, oh, I have become a hedgehog champion. (laughs) (laughs) And I've got into it, I get emails about it. And all it means is, um, as you may know, hedgehogs are endangered in this country, and yet they're sort of an iconic uh, British creature, and they're dying out. So I hassle people if I hear that they're using slug pellets and I encourage people to have little hedgehog highways in their back garden to let the hedgehogs go through. Um, and in my old house, we used to have a, a family of hedgehogs. Brilliant. They used to come and eat all the slugs and snails and no need for pellets whatsoever. And uh, in the winter, we used to put out food for them. I don't know whether the hedgehogs ate it or the cats, but uh, <laughs> actually, I do know the hedgehogs ate it because I used to see them sometimes. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love hedgehogs too. But I'm in Sweden. There aren't many around here. I haven't seen any anyway. <laughs> Maybe yeah. there are some, but I haven't seen any. Ah, I don't. Yeah, they're, they're, I have heard that they're a pest in Australia, which doesn't make sense to me unless they were just lying and winding me up. <laughs> That's possible. <laughs> That's possible. I wouldn't know. I mean, I could Google it, I suppose, couldn't I? <laughs> I'm just being lazy. <laughs> not checking the sources nice well we're coming close to the end of today's show in today's episode what's the last thing you'd like to say maybe to the listeners in terms of giving them advice and input on how they can put together their office to come back to our main topic <laughs> oh thank you yes my best advice is just give it a go give it a go if you're currently charging by the hour think about why people work with you what what are the triggers there's a package in there. There's a there's a there's a package of service offers that you could uh, put together for people based on what they are needing help with, and uh, don't use slug pellets. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Janine. This has gone by really fast, and it's been so great to talk to you and finally meet you after following uh, your content on social media for a while. And thank you for being on the show today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Focus B Show. We would love to hear your feedback. Let us know in a review how this episode inspired you. Keep buzzing. 